Well, we've been preaching uh, on finding yourself in the family of God. And we've been reading this uh, portions of this Romans chapter number 16 as Paul finishes his great uh, theses on salvation and then he turns toward those new family members that God has given him, the family of God. And he brings them to our attention. And though they have been long gone, yet God's family still exists in this hour. And the needs that God's family had back then are still very much in play in this hour. And God has taken his children and filled these different slots that we might minister one to another to the edifying of the saints. I'm glad that I am a part of the family of God. Every family has a tree, a genealogy, and of course, our family, the family of God, has a tree that begins at Calvary. Every family has treasures and heirlooms and inheritances, and of course, we have our treasures that are found in Christ. Every family has its talk, its, its language, its tongue. And of course, we have ours in these new words that God has given us. And one of them we noticed last night, which was uh, amen. Every family has its traits, things that remind you and remind others that you're members of that family. And I'm not going to be preaching that tonight, but I do want to since I've mentioned it this week so much, let you tell me who this reminds you of. I'm talking about these family members reminding us that of somebody else in the family. In verse number uh, 3 and 4, he said, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks. I want, I want to ask you, who does that remind you of? Someone that laid his own neck down or his own life down on your behalf. Jesus. There ought to be those family reminders in, in your life and mine that we are a part of the family of God. And Priscilla and Aquila remind us of the Lord Jesus. Uh, greater love hath no man than this, than he would lay down his life for the brethren. But tonight, I want to go a step further, and I want to preach for just a few moments on the family ties, or the ties that bind us together. I'm going to emphasize one, and uh, that tie is, of course, God's love. It is the great ingredient, the great glue that holds His family together, and uh, as I have stated already, we can have all the components that would make up a family. But if we don't have love, we only have a house. We don't have a home. And Paul said you can have all of these gifts, but if you don't have love, it's tinkling cymbal and sounding brass. And we can have church buildings, and we can have services, and we can have preachers, and we can have singers, and... And we can have a church full of people, but we're not going to help this world unless we can extend unto them the love of God. Because it takes God's love to save sinners. 
And so I want to deal with this matter of, of God's love that is found uh, in this text, and it is found as a part of the family of God. So let's begin, if you will, in uh, verse number uh, 1, and we're going to hurriedly read this text and uh, look at these, these people, and we're going to deal with these, these family ties. He said, I commend unto you, Phoebe, our sister, which was a servant of the church at Centuria, that you receive her in the Lord as become a saints, and that you assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you, for she hath been a succorer of many. That word succorer there was actually a, uh, a position that, uh, that was held uh, in that day. And what a succorer did is they, they watched out after people who were away from home. And ha in other words, they were in the country, but they were not a part of that country. They were, they were uh, without representation. In other words, if you, if you came to Rome and you were from another country, of course, you had no representation. There were offices there that uh, people would, they were called succorers, or there was a Latin term for it, and what they did is they sort of watched out after you while you were there. And, of course, this reminds us of the Holy Ghost when we talk about those traits. Aren't you glad that the Lord left the Holy Spirit with us because He knew that we were going to be in a world without representation. This world is not our home. We're just passing through but thank God we have, a, uh, we have a, the, the Spirit of God, the paraclete of heaven, who is in the hearts of God's people. And through the hearts of God's children, we, we succor one another, we comfort one another, we help one another in this old world. And he said in verse 3, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the churches in their house. Salute my well-beloved Epinetus, who is the firstfruits of Achaia unto Christ. Greet Mary, who bestowed much labor on us. Salute Adronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Greet and Plyas, my beloved in the Lord. Salute Urbane, our helper in Christ. Salute Stachius, my beloved. Salute Apellus, approved in Christ. Salute them which are of Aristobulus' household. Salute Herodian, my kinsman. Greet them that are of the household of Narcissus, which are in the Lord. Salute Tryphena, Tryphosa, who labored in the Lord. Salute the beloved Persis, which labored much in the Lord. Salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. Salute Asyncritus and Philgon and Hermas and Petrobus and Hermes and the brethren which are with them. Salute Philologus and Julia and Nereus and his sister and Olympus and all the saints which are with them. Salute one another with an holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned and avoid them, for they that are such, serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. 
For your obedience has come abroad unto all men. I am glad, therefore, on your behalf. But yet I would have you to be wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Timotheus, my workfellow, and Lucius, and Jason, and Sosipater, my kinsmen, salute you. I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, salute you in the Lord. Gaius, mine host, and of the whole church, saluteth you. Erastus, the chamberlain of the city, saluteth you, and Quartus, a brother. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began and now is made manifest by the scriptures and the prophets according to the commandment of the everlasting God made known to all nations for the obedience of the faith. To God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. There were three occasions in my life as a young child growing up. Two I remember, the other I was just a baby and was told about. That because I was brought into such a family, and of course my mother eventually left, in these three occasions someone else offered to take me and to, to raise me. And certainly it would have been a better setting, I'm sure. The first one was the doctor who delivered me, and, uh, and uh, my dad refused that. And uh, then uh, later on, I came down with an illness of which I spent five weeks in the uh, hospital there in South Charleston. And uh, when I got out of the hospital, my aunt and uncle aunt by marriage, my uncle, my dad's brother, picked me up and took me to their house. And I'd been to their house many times and later on stayed with them quite a bit. And as a six-year-old boy, I stayed with them. Uh, they were going to keep me until I got to doing better. And, and uh, so my aunt took me into a room one day and she sat down and kindly she said, Now, Dana, here's what me and your uncle would like to do. And we've talked to your daddy. We'd like to just take you and raise you and let you be our son. And we'll just treat you like a son, part of the family. That's what we want to do. But she said, we won't do that unless you will allow us to do so. I want, I want you to want that. And she tried to explain. And I remembered it and, and understood her very clearly. And without hesitation, as much as I appreciated her and did love her and my uncle... I said unto her, no, I, I think that I'd rather just go back home. Now, it would have been better for me raising-wise and food-wise and clothes-wise and school-wise and every other-wise to, to have stayed there. But you see, back there at my home, there were eight brothers and sisters. And uh, I knew that they loved me. With all the harshness of what we might have been raised up in, I have no doubt in my mind. Five brothers that were older than me, and of course they'd beat and thrash on me and thump on my head or whatever, but they wouldn't let nobody else do it. And I appreciated that. And I realized that I felt there, there was a bond there between us young'uns that 
that there was no way I could break. I, I had to go back because I knew that I loved them and I knew that they loved me and I knew that there was no one else in this world that loved us like we loved each other. And tonight may I suggest to you that that is still the ingredient that holds God's family together and brings sinners into the family and ministers to saints who may be on the verge of, of tottering or falling into some sin or whatever. It's the fact that love can cover a multitude of sin and that you realize that of all places that you could go in this world, there's no place you're going to be able to go like going home to family where you know that you're loved. And coming to the house of God, to the family of God, where you know that you are accepted as you are and that you are loved with a love that cannot be measured because it is a divine love that God put in your heart and shed abroad in your heart when he saved you. As a matter of fact, this is how that we know that we are family. We know that we have passed from death unto life, the Bible said, because we love the brethren. God put something in your heart and it was his love so that you could share it with others who are in his family and others that he would invite, sinners that he would invite into his family. And this is the one ingredient that God desires the most out of his family. More than your gifts, more than your abilities, more than your callings, though they are precious and they are important as we use them together as a unit to help each other. God would rather have one thing out of you, and that is you allowing Him to express His love through you. For you see, there's nothing that will disturb, nothing that will hurt a mom and a dad more than to know that their children are at all outs and at all one with another. To know that you have a son or a daughter that hate one another is, is an awful, awful feeling. That these children born of your womb, as we said, born out of the same womb, cannot stand one another. As it, as it grieved, uh, uh, of course, Rebekah and Isaac to know that Jacob and Esau fought from the womb all of their days until Jacob was 90-some years old. God does not want us to come together to pick out what we don't like about one another and to see what characteristics that seem to be less than what we are and, uh, and to find out uh, uh, what our faults are. But He wants us to come together to realize that though we can't do it in ourselves, that He, he is in us, Christ is in us, and He is in us to help us and to love through us so that we can love one another. And if there's one thing this world needs more than anything else, more than just simple doctrine, thank God for doctrine, thank God for truth. But I'm going to tell you something, this world needs to witness the love of God. Greater far than tongue or pen 
could ever tell. And as God's children, may it be our cry, Lord, may I be an expression of your care and of your love, a demonstration. May you work through my heart to love somebody else. Now, there are three things that I want to point out to you from this text that I want to emphasize concerning this matter of love or the ties that, that bind us together. First of all, I want to point out to you the terms, the terms of endearment. The terms of endearment. The words that seem to have feeling to them. That God has placed in the family because he wants us to express this feeling one to another. Now, the first terms are actually uh, words that we've already mentioned, brother and sister. Remember as we talked about it in verse number 1 and, and uh, verse number 7 and verse number 15 and verse 17, verse 21, it talks about this brother and sister, brother and sister. These are terms that God put in His family because they indicate, as I said, that we are born of the same womb. But these terms have a feeling to them. They're not just descriptive terms of saying, oh yeah, brother, or oh yeah, sister. But no, if it's your brother or your sister, to, to use that term seems to, it has a feeling of warmth and a feeling of closeness to it. As I would describe to others and say, do you know my brother Joe or, or do, do you know my sister Charlotte? And, and, uh, and uh, th these, these brothers and sisters, it has a warmth about it because that means that we're, we're close. We came from the same womb and we're a part of the same family. And... Again, we do not use these terms lightly. I, I, I did not just go around calling everybody as a child, brother, and sister. I only had eight people that I ever called brother and sister. And so it is in God's family. What a warmth it is to be saved and to go to the house of God and to greet one another and say, Brother, how are you doing? Uh, sister, how are you doing? And there is that warmth of, of uh, what I would call identification. We are identifying one another. I don't go around judging everybody, saying, well, you know, he says he's a brother, or she says she's a sister, but I don't know. No, I, I'm not, no, 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 no. I, that's not what it's all about. What it's all about is, is, is the thrill of realizing that here uh, tonight are those who claim a birth into the family of God and exemplify that birth through the Spirit of God that bears witness that we can warmly take their hand and say, brother and sister. It identifies us with the family of God. Those I'm talking about terms of endearment. Brother and sister. But you know, it even goes a little deeper than that. I, I, I notice that these, there are not only those terms that identify us, but there are terms that seem to, to classify or certify us. 
look, if you will, as I say, it goes even a little deeper than that. As we look down uh, uh, in these verses concerning this, this matter, I, I look, at, look in verse number 5. He said, Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Salute my... Look at this term he uses. I'm talking about these, these terms of endearment as far as the family is concerned, that seems to show feeling and uh, show emotion, show love. Likewise, he said, and then he said, Salute my well-beloved Epinetus. Now, how do you think Paul felt about Epinetus? My goodness, I mean, if I had read that and I'd have been Epinetus, they'd say, come here, Epinetus. Look what Paul wrote and said about you. He said, Salute my well-beloved. Beloved Epinetus. Wow. There's just a great overwhelming warmth that the Apostle Paul would say that about him. And then if you look down in verse number 8, he said, Greet and plias my beloved in the Lord. And then he says in uh, verse number 9, he speaks of Stachius, my Beloved, And then also, in verse number 12, salute, the latter part of the verse, the beloved Persis. Now, I'm talking about terms that we express one to another as brother and sister that seem to, to show a warmth that God wants us to share with one another with our lips as being a part of the family of God, brother and sister. But Paul takes it a step further and he talks about the well-beloved. Now we've heard that term used before. Beloved, beloved, well-beloved. Remember when John the Baptist was baptizing Christ and he brought him up out of the water. And heaven opened up and said something about Jesus that it had never said about anybody else. If there was any doubt about who Jesus was, the Father was going to clear up the doubt by certifying that Son as to who He really was. And He said in the hearing of John the Baptist and all of those that were there on that day being baptized, this is my, what word did He use? Well-beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. In other words, he's saying this is not just any ordinary person here. This is not just a son of Adam. But I want you to know that this is my son that I have sent into this world. This is my well-beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I want you to know that I certify before you and clarify who this one is. Well-beloved. My goodness, this is what the father said about his son. This is my well-beloved. And Paul takes that very same term. And he uses it about the family of God. And he is saying, I want you to know that, that these are not just religious folks. These are not just church folks of some denomination. But these are certified folks who are well-beloved. 
Now, here's what the idea of it is. It has, it has the, the idea of, uh, let, let's say, uh, some kind of an artist making, uh, painting a picture. And when he has finished with that picture and it is complete and it pleases him to the fullest sense, somewhere on that painting he will, he will etch his name. He will scribe his name in there. So that no matter where that picture goes, you will know who painted that picture. He's not ashamed of that picture. But that picture is something that he's put his all into. He's satisfied with it, and he doesn't care who knows. As a matter of fact, he wants everybody to know, I painted that picture. It has the idea of a potter in Bible days that would take a lump of clay and put it upon the wheel as it spun, and he would form a vessel to his liking. But when that vessel was finished, if it was finished the way he wanted it, he would turn that vessel upside down and he would take that vessel, that piece of pottery, and he would make some kind of a mark or inscribe uh, some kind of an imprint or put his name on it so that no matter where that picture went, that that, uh, bowl went or whatever it was, that everybody would know that it came from him and he wouldn't have sent it out unless he was well pleased with it. He doesn't send out junk. He's well pleased with it. So it is with everything that you purchase. This is true. Whatever you have in your house will have uh, just, it will have some kind of a marking, some kind of a name of someone that produced that. And because they put their name to it, they're sealed to it, what they're saying to you is, we're proud of this and we're proud that you have bought this because we put our signet on, we put our best into it and we feel like it is the best. See what I'm saying? And it's kind of like the Apostle Paul saying of the family. He said, I want you to know that these are well beloved. They are certified. They've got the stamp and the seal of the Holy Ghost on them. And the difference is now, the difference here in how that we, it implies how that we are to, how we are to view one another. Not as cheap pottery, or not as some artist who, who, uh, is an apprentice and he doesn't know how to do good art, but yet he slaps it together and ships it out there. Uh, God doesn't have any cheap vessels. Because, you see, every one of you cost heaven the most that heaven had to offer. And that was his son. And when he saved you, he put the same seal on you that is on his son. Because he wants everybody to know that he's not ashamed that he's got a family and they are well beloved unto him. And here's the thing. Most women in their home have just everyday run-of-the-mill plates for supper or whatever. And those are the things you just get out 
Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and, and you run around, you know, and, and you break a glass, and you say, ah, that's all right, don't worry about it. Sweep it up, make sure there ain't no glass in the floor, and, and uh, get that cup out of there from, uh, from McDonald's or Burger King or wherever. <laughs> and, you know, you're just not worried about all of that because it didn't cost you anything, and it ain't worth much anyway. But a couple of three or four Sundays ago, I was invited to eat at a home, and the lady went and got her finest china. And she had that china there for us to eat out of. And I'm going to tell you, when I see that finest china, I know it comes in a set. And a lot of times it, it is produced in certain numbers so that a set is a set and and you may replace one, but it won't have come out of the same batch or the same number that makes it so special. And they'll say, this is one of a hundred, or this is, you know, one of whatever many that you have, which makes it, it makes it well beloved to that, to that mama that's in that house. And uh, she'll say to the kids, now we're going to have a preacher, we're going to put the china out, but you break one of them, I'll break your arm. I'll tell you that right now. And what you're saying to those kids is, this stuff's not cheap. This didn't come from, uh, I didn't buy this at Walmart. And this didn't come, I mean, you know, this ain't, this ain't a cup that come out of Burger King. You, this, this, look at the stamp on the back of that thing. And some of you may have some of your grandparents' uh, uh, chinas and sets and things that are worth a lot. And you turn them over and they have a certain seal and a certain number on them. And it's just so hard to find that piece and to replace that piece. And, and, and what you let everybody know by the way you wrap it up, the way you store it, the way you keep it, is you're saying, this means a lot. To me, it is well-beloved. It's not cheap. I'm here to tell you something. If God's children are well-beloved to Him, how do you think you ought to feel about them? And before we ever use words to speak ill of one another, let us understand that we're speaking ill of some of God's finest china. Because he put his seal and his signet on that child of God as he does all of his children. Ever since he spoke well, beloved, concerning his son. You notice the Bible said all of these are in Christ. So what he says about Christ, he says about those that are in Christ. And that means all of his children are well, beloved to him. And I don't want to harm. I don't want to hurt. I don't want to abuse God's special young'uns. Because, honey, you offend the Father when you offend the Son. And may we understand that we need not take each other lightly because, honey, you've got the stamp of God on you of the Holy Ghost. And I want to treat you with the tenderness and cautiousness and the love that my Heavenly Father treats you with and His Son treats you with. These are terms of endearment. Brother and sister and well beloved. And I wonder sometimes how God's heart's grieved when, say, one preacher's talking about another preacher or one sister's running another sister down or something like that. And our Father is grieved about that. Because he, what he would say is, is, I love them 
I want you to love them. And I have given you the love that will cover all of that as you love one another. And by the way, that not only deals with you ladies with ladies and men with men, but honey, I'm going to tell you something. That husband is well-beloved in God's sight, and that wife is well-beloved in God's sight. We need to be cautious how we treat each other in our earthly families. And those children aren't just, some, some, just something that God gave you just to throw out there and abuse or do whatever you want with them. They're given you because they are well-beloved in the sight of God, and we are to love them as God would love them and lead them to Christ as God wants them to be in Christ. And we have these, these terms. We say brother and sister around here. Why? Because we are so dear one to another. Now, I'm talking about this matter of the ties that bind. I see Paul is expressing the terms that uh, are so uh, endearing, endearing. But then the second thing I want you to notice with me are, are, are the touches that are so embracing. The touches that is so embracing. God not only wants us to come into this place and express with our mouths, with our tongues, that we love one another, but there's nothing like a touch that seems to express to a heart that they are truly loved. And God has so placed it in His family that we not only can tell one another we love each other, but we can express it in a touching way so that we can feel, so that we not only hear we love one another, but we feel this love one for another. And there's nothing like God's family being together and then leaving, parting our ways, knowing and feeling that we have been genuinely Loved. Boy, what a family that is. What a family that is. And he, he lets us know that through touching. Now, let me look, let's look down through here at two words that, that Paul used. I'm going to emphasize three words, but two of them I'll point out to you. If you'll notice all the way down, I've underscored them, and I'm not going to take uh, time to look at all of them, but look in verse 3. He said, greet Priscilla. And then he said in verse 5, greet the church. In verse 5, he said, salute my well-beloved. Verse number 6, he said, greet. Verse 7, he said, salute. Verse 8, he said, greet. Verse 9, he said, salute. Verse 10, salute. Verse 11, salute. Verse 12, salute. And so on. He uses these two words, greet and he uses the word salute. Now, as I looked up the words, the terms greet and salute, it has this idea of you calling uh, your son or daughter somewhere that they live, talking to them on the phone, and you hear the grand youngins in the background. That's the reason why you call anyway. And... and uh, they're scurrying around the background. And you talk a little while, and then when you hang up your phone, you say to them, be sure and give little Johnny and Susie a hug and a kiss for me. 
Another reason why you're doing that is because you want them not to forget grandpa and grandma, but you want the communication of a touch because words are fine, but touches are even better. Of a hug and embrace as they pick the little Johnny up and say, Johnny, uh, mama so-and-so said that she loved you. And boy, he just feels that. She just feels that in their heart. It's the same in marriage, and it's the same in the, in the earthly family. Aren't you glad? And, and, and don't you feel that warmth? When you can embrace, that's what the word means. It is, it's words that, that indicate that what Paul is saying, he is saying, I want you to embrace. I want you with touches to embrace them. To show that not only are we identified and certified, but that we are unified one with another. And when two people hug one another, that's what the word means. It means to embrace. If you'll look it up, uh, in your uh, strong concordance, salute and greet means to embrace. Now, in hugging one another, what we are saying is, there's nothing between my heart and your heart. The hearts are brought together. And this is what God wants with His family. Not just a bunch of, uh, of talk and a bunch of uh, words and, and not just coming together, going through the functions of religion. But it ought to be our desire. And we ought to say, God, when I leave this place tonight, may somebody else know that they're loved because I have been here. Because I have told them so, and because I have touched them in some way. We are here because that God loved us. And He put that love in us so that we could love one another, not just sit around and, and boil and get mad and, and, and have all kind of friction over something somebody said or something somebody didn't. No! Love is to overcome that. And may we stay with God until we say, Lord, would you help me until I can love every one of your children? I understand that's not hard to do, and it's an impossible within self. Don't go home and say, oh, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to just practice and see if I can love somebody. No, you'll hate them. You'll get them on your mind. You'll begin thinking how you can kill them. No, you have to go and look into the face of Christ and see how he looked into your face and he loved you in spite of who you were and say to him, Lord, would you let me love them the way you have loved me? And thereby being able to love one another. I asked an old boy one time, he was teaching Sunday school, a young fellow, and doing a great job. He's a wonderful boy. And, uh, and, but he was teaching Sunday school, and he was teaching on Israel and how that we ought to pray for Israel and love Israel, and that is true. But he made this statement. He said, I just, he said, I love all the Jews. I just love all the Jews. And I wanted to just gig him a little bit, you know, and aggravate him. So after the, after the Sunday school, I walked up to him, and I said, uh, we just small talking. I said, son, you ever met a Jew? He said, no. I said, that's why you love them all. Huh? <laughs> it's easy to say you love everybody you don't know. 
But honey, it's, it's where the rubber meets the road. It's in that home. It's that husband, that wife, that son, that daughter. It's that neighbor that's giving you a fit. It's, it's the people in church and somebody with a certain personality that just rubs you the wrong way. But yet you realize that you have no excuse and that if God could love somebody like you, surely He could give you the love. You can't do it in yourself, but give you the love to where you can love somebody else. And oh, the joy and the feeling the wonderfulness of it to know that God has let you touch somebody else. That's really not lovable, but you were able to love them. And he says, greet one another, embrace one another, embrace one another. He says in verse number 16, now we've already emphasized this matter of hugs, but he said in verse 16, salute one another with a uh-oh. <laughs> so, well, I don't want people to think things are bad of me. Well, I'm tell you something. It's just like the word amen. There's some great things God gave his family, and just because the world's abusing it doesn't mean that we ought to quit showing and expressing love one for another. And one is in terms of embracing, but the other, it's not used much. It's a, it's a, a custom see it in the Middle East much. And matter of fact, in the last little bit, there have been two occasions when I was preaching. One especially, I was preaching after I got done preaching, and the, it was a preacher's uh, conference, and there were all kinds of preachers standing around. We were talking and everything, and this one guy didn't have a lot of time, and he just walked up and he grabbed my chin, turned it that way, and kissed me on the cheek and walked out. And there was a warmth that filled my heart. I knew that man and what he was saying to me as preacher. I just want you to know before I leave that I love you in the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? Now, I don't want nobody running around kissing my wife. I mean, I wouldn't care if you kissed her on the cheek or whatever. I mean, I understand. I understand these things can go too far. But what I'm saying is we've gone too far the other way. We've come into our houses of God so cold and indifferent one to another. And we walk out going through all the systems and, and, and people are leaving the house of God not feeling that love they need to feel. And we've left not feeling that we've loved people like we need to love them. But what I'm saying is when we come in to the house of God, there needs to be those, those terms that are real and genuine. There needs to be those touches that are real and genuine. You say, well, I, you know, some people fake it. Well, maybe they do, but don't you fake it. If you really don't love somebody, get along with the Lord. And that's what he's there for, is to, is to give you that ability to love people that, that normally you could not love. You know, somebody said the good thing about a hug is, is one size fits all. And isn't that true? And when my, since I've talked so much about grand youngins, when my grand youngins at the house... I, I have designated myself not as the cooker and the keeper and the cleaner and the instructor, but I just follow the grand youngins around. I find out which room they're all in, and I go in there. And I sit in there waiting and hoping that one of them gets hurt. Not bad, but, you know, stomp a toe or hurt a finger or something like that. You say, why, preacher? What, have you ever seen how much love you can get out of a youngin that stomped a toe? Woo, boy, you can just squeeze them and they'll cry on you. They ain't killed. They're okay. But it's just you get a whole lot of loving. And, uh, and my wife gets them. You know, one of them whips one of them. And then it's just hard for me to say, honey, what's wrong? Come to Daddy Dana. And then it's just hugs. 
And, <laughs> and what I'm doing is I'm expressing to them what I hope they'll know the rest of their lives is that I really do love them. But let me give you this last, uh, last thought. I, I've talked about the, the terms of endearment, the touches that, that uh, are I- embracing. I'm talking about those things that identify us and certify us and, and unify us. But, but there are the tests that are enduring. The tests that are enduring. I'm talking about God is going to give you a chance as His children to show now he'll let you say I love you he'll let you do the touching and embracing and shaking hands and hug but, but there'll come that time that he'll bring that family member he'll bring that person into your life and he'll say now I want you to demonstrate you love them I want, I want to see because love, love costs it costs heaven And when God sends forth this love out of you, He's going to send it, but I'm going to tell you, there's going to be a cost to it at some time. Somewhere along the line, just as Christ did, you're going to have to sacrifice to let somebody know that they're really loved. It's going to take some of your time. It's going to take some uh, distance. It may take some money. It may take some care. But it is your opportunity now. And God is saying to you, you, you do love them. You said you love them. Now I want you to show them that you love them. And boy, that's when love really works when we have the opportunity to demonstrate to one another that this is real. So that the family member, the child of God, the person that we are loving, knows beyond any shadow of a doubt that they are loved because they have seen the sacrifice. Oh... Paul mentions this. I've read verse 4, 3 and 4 a couple of times, but he said, Greek Priscilla uh, Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks. I'm going to tell you something. That was a demonstration of love. And when he talked about Mary down there, who who labored much in the Lord, that word labored much means to the place of exhaustion. She was showing that love. And may we look for opportunities and may we accept the, the, uh, the opportunities that God would give us to show others that we do love because we've been willing to go the second mile. We have been willing to do what would be hard and harsh because we want somebody to know and because we really do. Love them. I was thinking about uh, W.A. Tozer. He, in one of his books, told the story about right after World War II in Europe being so devastated and so many people killed and so many families destroyed by war that there were many, many, many thousands of children that were left homeless. And so... Americans began to go over there and set up homes for these children to help take care of them until 
things could get back in order. These, these foster homes and these children's homes. And there was a man who came back from war and found out that the only family member that he had left living was a daughter, a small little girl. He tried for months and months to find work, but there was no work in Germany at that time. There was no place to get work, and food was so hard to come by. And he tried and tried and tried for months just to scrape up enough food to, to keep this girl alive and enough clothes to keep her warm, but it just wasn't there. And so one day he went to one of those homes and he said to those people, Would you please take my daughter? I don't know that I'm even going to make it, but I, I, I have tried and tried and tried. But she's losing weight and, and I'm afraid that she's going to get sick. And, 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 and I need, I, would you please, I, the only way she has any hope is if you will take her. And they said to him, Sir, it's impossible. There's so many children now in Europe that have no mama, nor daddy, nor grandmother, nor grandfather. The only children that we can take are those who have no one else to help them. And it's obvious she has you, even though there's nothing out there. And so we've been instructed we cannot take her. And he begged and pleaded, and they said, we would love to, but we can't. Because if we take her, then someone, some other little girl, little boy, is going to starve to death because they have no one. He took the little girl's hand, W.A. Tozer said, and he put the hand into the hand of the dear worker. And he said, would you hold her hand for a moment? And he turned and walked out the door and walked up the bank and into the woods and they heard a shot. And they knew what had happened. He had taken his own life because he knew that the only hope for that girl to make it would be in one of those homes. And he was willing to die for that. And in doing so, he showed his ultimate desire of love for that girl. I thought about that sacrifice. I thought about the sacrifice of Christ. I thought about the sacrifice of Paul. I thought about the sacrifices of those in there. And, and I thought about down through the years, only God knows the many sacrifices that God's children have made for the gospel's sake. And so sinners can be saved and for God's family. And many of you sitting here, no doubt, have sacrificed in many ways to minister, whether it was time going by the rest home or going by the hospital or money that somebody might need or, or prayer or just a telephone call or, or the time of teaching a Sunday school class or whatever it may be you gave at that time because you wanted somebody to know that they were truly and they were genuinely loved. I thought about that demonstration of love and I thought about I want to be more than just a preacher. I don't want to be someone that just goes across the country and opens a Bible and says a bunch of words, but I want to be a demonstration of God's love even when it costs to do so. You threw some things and maybe you, there's someone here tonight that you want them to know, especially, that you love them. While we sing this song, let's just take that time, special time. There ain't nobody here but family know how. And let somebody know 
what you mean to them.